Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. It's time again to talk about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm joined again by my good friend, Taylor Mainberg. How are you doing, Taylor? I'm good. I'm excited to be here, excited to talk about a number of great shows that are going on in this very strange time in the world. Yeah, so everything is weird, as everyone knows, but it's there was this time where it looked like Joshi was going to be the, the last wrestling left standing. And now it kind of looks like that's not going to be the case, that even even Joshi might have to shut down for uh, some short period of time. Yeah, there was a brief time when it looked like everything was going to start coming back. Um, there was the big DDT show in the middle of March um, and a few other shows that seemingly started having people back. And it looked like it was sort of turning the corner and we'd get everything back. And then all of a sudden it sort of doubled down and got worse. Uh, and all of these... Uh, even the Joshi shows started canceling, which had sort of made it through, uh, at least the smaller promotions had made it through sort of unscathed from all the issues. But now it looks like uh, a lot of places are canceling or postponing shows. Well, how are you holding up, Taylor? You're in New York, right? So you're at the epicenter. I am. I'm in the epicenter. Uh, I am. Uh, I live alone in an apartment, so it's actually been two and a half weeks. Uh, that I've been in quarantine slash isolation. Uh, it's a little bit lonely, but I think like a lot of other people doing a lot of Zoom meetings, doing a lot of FaceTiming with my family, with my parents. So, you know, I'm I'm keeping up and I'm, I'm still working, working from home. So that's sort of keeping me, uh, keeping me in a schedule at least where I have sort of, you know, something at least during the week to wake up and do every day, which... I'm very grateful for. Yeah, I was talking to Aaron Taub maybe last week who lives in Queens, and which I guess is like the epi epicenter of the of the uh, of the coronavirus in the United States. And he's like, you know, I'm struggling with this or that. And I'm like, dude, you got to get out and take a walk. I've been taking walks. They're great. He's like, you know, maybe it's a little different taking a walk in Queens than it is in your neighborhood, Aaron. But it's like <laughs> hard to avoid people walking around here, you know. It's like, OK, that, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, you go out and there's still people on the sidewalk and you just, you know, you don't even know. I actually had my uh, mother texting me this earlier this week, like three days in a row. She texted me these very panicky um, text messages of like, don't go, don't, don't leave your apartment. Don't go out. You, you can't do it. It's unsafe. And I had to text her and be and just say, I'm in my apartment. I'm very safe. You know, it's OK. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's fine. Um, hoping we get through it uh, sooner rather than later. But getting through it, watching a lot of wrestling is uh, definitely helping. Yes, there's been a well, I would say there's been a lot of wrestling, but it's actually been a little less, I think, at least in, in Joshi than it had been there for a bit. So we're going to talk about everything that's been going on recently. Unfortunately, a lot of the big shows that we want to talk about aired right after our last episode. So it might be a little bit old, but 
I don't think any other podcasts have talked about them, so we still will have uh, beaten a lot of podcasts to the punch. So I'll give you a rundown quickly of how you can find us. We're on Twitter at Audio. I got to do better with the Twitter account, Taylor. I haven't been posting much on there. I think we both do because I I also had the same thought this week. Um, probably, especially if, you know, the longer that this sort of quarantine isolation goes on, I definitely want to hop on um, if shows do happen to come out, like the Ice Ribbon uh, dojo shows where there's no crowd or maybe a Tokyo Joshi show. Definitely want to hop on the, the Twitter and maybe do a live uh, live tweet along with, with one of those shows. Yeah, I, I joked with Matt SDL on Twitter that we just needed to hire him to do all the news because he retweets like everything and translates it in English immediately. So, and I was I was finding myself just wanting to retweet all his tweets. <laughs> I guess maybe I should do something uh, more creative with the Twitter account. So, we're going to work on that. We're still new at this, so we're going to work on that. You can find yeah, it's only our third. It's only our third episode, so. We're still getting in the groove. That's right. Yeah, like, I mean, thanks everyone for listening to these early episodes, but obviously you should never listen to a podcast until it's like 20 episodes in. So, you know, just uh, give us some time. We'll get it figured out. So I'm at Aaron Like the Car if you want to find my very bad tweets. Uh, Taylor is at T.A. Mambo, which uh, he doesn't do a lot of tweeting, to be honest, but, you know, maybe I didn't. I tweeted this week. Uh, the tweet bombed, so I'll probably go back to not <laughs> tweeting again. Well, it's hard when you come back from from the dead to get some engagement going, Taylor. Sure, sure, yeah, that's very true. You got to post through it and just uh, see what happens. So you can subscribe to this podcast, of course. Just search "Jumping Bomb Audio" on the podcast app of your choice, or you can get us as part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. If you're on the Apple Podcast app, please give us a rating and review so people can find this who don't know about it yet. And if you're feeling particularly generous, uh, well, I would suggest you give to people who are actually being harmed by uh, coronavirus and not us. So I'm not even going to give the link this week, as a matter of fact. So here's what we're going to talk about on this show. We've got Stardom Cinderella Tournament, of course, that happened back on March 24th. We've got Basically, a whole bunch of other shows. Some of the highlights, uh, the Seedling Show from March 10th, the Sendai Girls Joshi Rookie Tournament that happened, the first round, that happened on March 28th. I guess those are the biggest shows that happened. Uh, we're going to talk about all those, but we're going to talk about a lot more. And as we always do on this podcast, we're going to break down our recommended matches from the last two weeks. And I, I see Taylor has a little bonus recommended match that did not happen in the last two weeks. And uh, we'll talk about shows that are coming up and basically just everything that goes on in Joshi's, what we try to cover on this show. But I think we're going to get started, even though it was about two weeks ago, with the Stardom Cinderella Tournament. So the ultimate outcome here, Taylor, is Julia is your Cinderella Tournament winner. She has come from just showing up in this promotion to the Tokyo Dome to... Winning the Cinderella tournament, it looks like she's going to be challenging Arisa Hoshiki if they can have the uh, Stardom anniversary show at uh, Oda Ward Gymnasium on April 29th. So, start wherever you want, Taylor. Your your thoughts on this year's Cinderella tournament? Well, I guess my overall thoughts on the show in general is I thought that I enjoyed last year's Cinderella tournament as well, but I thought that this was definitely a step up in terms of match quality, especially in terms of the first um, round 
which sometimes can go by fast. You sort of get these more, you know, time limit draw or you get over the top rope finishes. Didn't get a ton of those this year, which I think really helped with the match quality. I thought it was a really strong first round. Some interesting results that uh, we didn't predict on the show, although we did nail the the final match um, perfectly as well as the winner. So I, th- I think it was good and it's clear as we talked about on the last show, that Julia is the uh, sort of it girl of the moment in stardom. So no surprise to me that she uh, came out victorious. We've talked on this show about whether Julia kind of, whether she's more of a potential play than she is like a present play, right? As far as who she is as a, as a worker, as a full package. Did anything about this tournament Change your mind one way or the other about Julia's potential going forward. Um, I'll say no. I know that a lot of people really enjoyed the final match. Um, I didn't love it. I didn't dislike it. Uh, I don't want to sound like I was really hating it. But to me, it was sort of that fine level that Julia seems to always operate at for me personally. So I don't know that my mind was changed, even though I sort of recognize that this is the way that the promotion is clearly going uh, towards Julia, giving Julia these bigger, uh, building her up, giving her bigger and bigger matches. So really, I don't know that anyone in the tournament really, you know, I don't know that I changed my mind on anyone and Julia would be included in that. I'm not sure that the matches changed anything about Julia for me. She was, at her best when it felt like, you know, kind of a, a brawl type uh, match. And she did those, especially in the final with Natsuko Tour, which I really liked. Uh, I'm, I'll, it's in one of my recommended matches. So I'll maybe talk about it a little bit more later. I liked it a lot. But in the, the post-match, when she, she's got her, her dress, her tiara, let's talk about that before we get into what I was about to say. What do you think about the, the gimmick here? that the winner of the tournament gets a dress, a tiara, uh, and a wish. Um, I always like tournaments. I'll, I guess I'll start with the easiest part, which is I always like tournaments where people win and get to determine uh, what they want. I think that's always fun. I like, the, for example, the New Japan Cup, which is mostly always people challenging for the heavyweight title. But it is sort of a wish, you know, I like that. I like single elimination tournaments. I think they're fun and you, you can do a lot of fun things. Uh, in terms of the dress and the tiara, um, I don't know. I feel sort of, um, I guess I feel agnostic about it a little bit in that, you know, it is, a, it is a bit odd to see someone go, oh, I won the tournament instead of coming out and just handing them a trophy. They have to, you know, go backstage and change clothes and then come back out and it's, you know, the winner. But it's it's certainly unique. I'll say that I don't know that there's any other tournament where uh, the winner gets a article of clothing uh, to wear in victory. So, you know, I enjoy it. I think it's unique. It's very stardom in their vein of sort of what they try and do in terms of presenting their talent. Yeah, I really like it. <laughs> I just think it's fun. <laughs> I don't know. It's like. It is weird that you have to go back and you, you you put the dress on and come back out. And I've heard criticism that not it's like, how can Natsuko Tora win this? You know, she's just not the kind of 
person who you would expect to see in like a dress. Although I think there's like, uh, there's a universe where there's this like really cool Natsuko Tora centric dress that she's created for this moment, you know? So I'm not sure I buy that. I just kind of like, it's goofy, it's silly, but it's like cute. It's whimsical. It's, it's wrestling. I like it. Yeah. I think it would be interesting if it was an article of clothing that might be slightly more, uh, tailored, not physically tailored, but sort of the look of it towards the winner. It's sort of a, you know, the dress is sort of a generic. It's usually one color. Sometimes it's based on, you know, a color that the wrestler wears or something like that. But I think it would be interesting to have something that was more individualized and maybe they get it. And at the next, instead of changing at that very show and coming out, it would be fun if maybe that they, got to wear it at the next show. Maybe it's not a full dress or maybe it's something a little bit uh, less difficult to take on and uh, put on and take off. But yeah, you know, I, I'm certainly not against it in any way. I think, I think it's fun. Definitely in the, in the stardom, you know, fits the stardom look and the stardom attitude. I wonder if it's influenced or inspired by King of the Ring it's like that idea of like a single elimination tournament where you, I mean that you got an article of clothing, right? Usually got the, uh, the crown and you know, like a, a, a cape of some sort. So, yeah. Very, that's very true. Yeah. I, I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah. And, the, but that would kind of change their gimmick for a while. Right. Everybody would be like uh King Booker or whatever, you know, they would kind of do a new thing. King Harley race. They yeah. Really- although it's, that's not, I don't know if that's part of it or if it's sort of that that booking team going, oh, well, they're the king, so let's just call them king and that'll be, the, you know. Yeah. I don't know that that's a requirement of winning King of the Ring. I just think it's something they like doing because it's an easy sort of storytelling idea. Right. That's true. But it's uh, in the, the stardom version, I just enjoy it. Uh, maybe it'd be fun if, it's kind of like the idea, I think it's like, there's just this one dress that has been purchased. That's kind of the way they present it. And whoever wins is going to get the dress, you know, but it, it kind of be fun if like Natsuko had a dress made and uh, Hana had a dress made and it's like, well, whoever wins gets to wear their dress. <laughs> yeah. Or you, or you choose before the show, you say, this is what I want my dress to, you know, like there's some, you know, discussion saying, oh, if I win, I want my dress to be this. And then if you win, you get the dress that has X, Y, Z on it or looks a certain way or something like that. I think that would yeah. be fun. You have like a design of the dress put together. Uh, you can even at the little press conference before the tournament, they could show off their designs of what they want their dress to look like. And then at the See, next here we show, go. Look at this. Yeah. Then at the next show, they come out of the dress. This is good stuff. And this is. <laughs> I hope uh, I hope someone in power and stardom is listening to this. Me too. Kadani, I'm sure is listening. Oh so, yeah, of course. Here was here's my Julia thought. Here's like I've turned the worm on on Julia, and here's it was her post match promo. She talks in the promo about like coming into stardom at a very low point in her life, and I think like the whole thing with leaving Ice Ribbon was maybe weird, you know, and understandably so. And then, like, you can easily imagine that people in the promotion don't like her in that she was immediately pushed. 
She had this weird thing of leaving her her former company. She got she was one of the fourth at Tokyo Dome after being there like three days. So I think what she was saying in the promo, which is something that she doesn't normally uh, project, was that she really was having a crisis of confidence in like her real life. And I think a lot of the awkwardness we've seen out of her could be explained by that. And not only the awkwardness in the ring, but just like the awkwardness in her. She has this like kind of charisma that somehow sometimes doesn't really come out because it seems like forced or put upon. And maybe that's because she hasn't really had that confidence under her. And maybe we saw in this tournament, she gets four matches. She uh, does pretty well in just about all of them. She obviously has the backing of the company, which she already did, but this is another example of that. Maybe we see some more confidence from her and we get to go from a character who is just like kind of snotty, better than you type type character to someone who like overcame something and is now in the best position to succeed. This could all be headcanon, but it's just kind of what I see uh, based on the post-match promo. Yeah, I think it's it is important to remember that she is still fairly uh, new in her career. I mean, she's been around for a little bit, but she's we're not talking about someone who's been around for ten years as is a veteran and is totally sort of um, set in stone about what kind of wrestler she is, or you know how good she is, or what her personality is. So she has room to grow. So it's certainly not, you know, I think it has been partially. Um, a, a little bit of a bumpy introduction. And I think part of that is the company really putting a lot on her shoulders very, very quick, which would be tough for for a lot of people, especially in this company where the expectations are so high. It's definitely the Joshi promotion that I think has the most eyes on it and therefore the, the most sort of... Um, number of fans that are going to look at it with a very critical eye. So I think that she has room to grow. Um, and it's interesting to see if maybe this win, you know, by herself, not with uh, Shuri or Micah, you know, just on her own in singles matches, she wins for, she gets this promo. Maybe that's the launching pad to really take her to the next step. All right. Let's talk about some of your favorite matches from the promotion. So, you know, whatever, a handful of matches that you you thought were better than the rest. So my, uh, I really, there were two that stuck out for me. The first one was Momo Watanabe and Starlight Kid. Thought that was a really great match. Uh, a surprising result because on this show, we both predicted um, Starlight Kid would go through, but uh, Momo pulled out I, the victory. I don't recall predicting that for sure. <laughs> Uh, you'll have to, you'll have to go back and listen to the entirety of episode two. Again, everyone go back and listen to, <laughs> to give it another, uh, give it another download, please. Yes. I would um, never bet against Momo Watanabe. I think everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one I liked, and I think we're going to have some, um, disagreement on this, Aaron is, uh, Tam Nakano and Saki, uh, Kashima, which is yeah. a match that I really liked even though I had some, I sort of had a lot of thoughts that maybe you would think I didn't like it. Cause the thing is, I think Saki's a really strong wrestler, but I'm not really sure what's going on with her turning heel. 
She's in a way to tie, and now she just seems to lose all the time. Um, I'm not sure if they just wanted her in Oedo Tai as a body because they needed a certain number of people in the group just to fill it out and have the numbers in terms of setting up matches and things like that. But I enjoy the match, even though on the surface, I'm not really connecting so much with Saki's heel character. Yeah, it kind of seemed like the whole Saki to Oedo Tai thing was just not that well thought out of like you're, you're seeing Kagetsu and Hazuki both leave the promotion. So the, the, the unit is really dwindling, but this was before they did the, the B Priestley thing. So it's just like, I don't know. It's hard to say whether it all was intended to happen the way it did, but I, I really, I feel bad for Saki in a lot of ways in that she was kind of in the role in stars of just like, a body you know she had her her biggest feud was the one with with natsu you know recently which while very entertaining uh, a, a feud over natsu coming out and singing saki's theme song very entertaining but perhaps not like you know as as high up the card as uh, saki might want to be so when this first happened and she joined oedo tai i was like this is great it gives her a chance to do something different you could imagine her kind of getting lost in the shuffle, especially in the Bushi Road era, as they start bringing in some talent that's going to be placed higher up. So I thought, okay, Saki gets this shot against Mayu at the, the No People Gate show, and she lost, but that's like, I don't know if she'd, I don't know off the top of my head if she'd main evented a Korokun before that. Certainly, I don't think she had in a singles match. So she's got that going for her, but then it like didn't really go anywhere. I thought she might get a little momentum in this tournament, and she didn't. And she's kind of just finds herself back in the same spot that she was in stars, but like with a new coat of paint. Yeah. And a coat of paint that I'm not sure if it really fits her all that well either. Uh, I'm not sure if she's meant to be a heel or if she's a natural heel. Now maybe she's still working into the role, but yeah, it's a, it's a bit confusing to me as well. This was like the only match in the tournament that I just didn't like <laughs> at all. <laughs> so I love that it's like one of your two favorites. That's very funny to me. I mean, to me, it was like my notes, my note literally says fine is what I wrote after the match. Uh, I did like that Saki, she was the first one. So the way the tournament kind of worked out was the first round didn't really have over the top rope uh, finishes. And then the second round was like, and and going forward from there was like every match was focused around whether they were going to go over the top rope. So I like that Saki specifically uh, built her offense around trying to get Tom over the top rope. So I thought that was that was smart and, and interesting. But the match didn't do a lot for me. Although it, Tom didn't have a great night generally, so it's it's hard to blame it all on Saki. All right, my favorite matches. I, I also enjoyed the Momo Starlight Kid match, but part of it, part of my enjoyment of it was expecting that Starlight Kid was going to win. And so they, they were able to play against that type, whether they realized it or not. It was like every near fall was uh, believable for me. So that was fun. The I thought the best match of the tournament was the Micah Utami Hayashishta draw in the first round. This was, they, they've wrestled each other before they wrestled and just tap out 
I don't, I think that was before we started doing the show, uh, but they wrestled in just tap out and had a, a really good match. And so they have a little more chemistry. Micah's like, whatever, 20 matches into her career. So she doesn't always seem like that well put together, that polished, understandably so. So it was smart to put her in here with Utami, who she's worked with before. But I thought this was great. I mean, they were just at each other like they hated each other, which is something that that I really enjoy. I think Micah is, you know, heads and sh- head and shoulders above most people who've worked, you know, 20 some matches uh, in a year or two. You can imagine her being I'm not sure she has the charisma to be like a star in wrestling. Of course, she's very new and very young, so she could certainly come out of her shell. But I do think she can be uh, a Momo level worker, which uh, coming from me is is very high praise. I think Momo is one of the best in the world. So I think she can be really good. Uh, and I love this. Yeah, I think Micah is interesting. And I think she'll, of course, get better as she has more matches because she has almost no matches under her belt. I actually wrote in my notes, I think she does also have a lot of potential, but I think something right now is missing and I can't exactly put my finger on what I think is missing with her. But I think it is really along the lines of what you mentioned in that I don't know that I see her as developing into a top star. I don't know if she has sort of the it factor that you need. I think she'll get better and probably be a very good worker, especially if she continues to to work in stardom like she is. Cause I think you almost working with the amount of talent in stardom that they have, it's almost natural that you get better as we've seen from a lot of people who have come into the promotion, maybe on a lower level in ring wise and have gotten a lot better and improved. Um, so, yeah, I think the potential is there. It's just something is something that I can't quite put my finger on is, is missing with her. I also, I'll credit Mike Spears for this take, but She's also like Taki Michinoku's legacy at this point. Like with everything that happened with Taka with his scandal and kind of having to leave his own dojo, being run out of New Japan. It's like this is his trainee that he has. You know, Yoshida's gone from uh, from K Dojo. So it's really just um, it's really just Micah, and he's clearly like a very good trainer. So you can you can see him really being invested in her continued. Uh, improvement is the is the point that Mike made, which I, I buy into. Yeah, they've got a couple people in just tap out, but it seems very clear that Micah is head and shoulders above everyone else, both in her matches that she's already had and also in the way that she's positioned in just tap out as well as getting into stardom. I think that there's a bunch of people who see something in her. So I think I definitely agree. I think that she's probably one person who carries on that legacy and who knows what happens with uh, just tap out or taco or any of those things with all the different uh, possibilities swirling of new promotions opening and coming in and maybe taking uh, Taka in as a trainer. Uh, That's certainly possible, but, but yeah, she is, she is the definite number one. Um, in just tap out in terms of someone who has the best likelihood to become something in the future. My other favorite match was the the final, the Julian Natsuko match, which I pretty much talked about why I liked it so much, but they were able to smartly 
basically there were no crowd brawls in this entire tournament until this match, which, you know, probably for health reasons, not a great idea, but for freshening up the match, it really worked because you hadn't seen it happen throughout the tournament. And when you're sitting through a single elimination tournament in one night, it's good to be able to, to uh, change things up a little bit. And they did that successfully here. I thought, uh, you know, they brought in a little bit of, a little bit of plunder, which I thought worked. And just overall, I liked it a lot, but the, the person I want to shout out that I didn't have a match that just like blew me away, but I thought uh, Shuri was really good in every match that she was involved in in this tournament. Uh, the Jamie Hader match was probably my favorite. And that's a match that I'm like dying to see a, a full full length version of that match with some real stakes. There's two of my favorites. Uh, but I think she's really coming to stardom and is comfortable and is able to like do her thing here. And it just works. She's really good. Yeah, I think I mentioned this on the last episode, but I definitely think she has now come back and sort of uh, the rust now is gone. She was out of wrestling doing uh, MMA and UFC for a few years and came back and it's felt like she's gotten into it more and more. And now I think that she's fully back. She's back in the rhythm. She knows, you know, she has it sort of in her brain, what she needs to do. And I think we're going to talk about her a couple other times on this episode, she's gotten very good and been very valuable, not only for stardom, but a couple of other promotions as well. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about with regard to the Cinderella tournament is Julia wins. She challenges Arisa Hoshki for uh, the white belt at the April 29th show at Oda Ward gymnasium. Now the problem with that, well, there's a few problems. One who knows what shows are going to be happening because of everything going on in the world. But two, Aris has been out with some sort of injury. Julia did mention that in her promo. She said, if you can't recover in time, then you need to just hand over the white belt. So we should know, you know, by the end of this month, whether that match is going to happen and, and uh, what the stakes are going to be for it. But what do you think generally, Taylor, about if the match happens, who do you think should win? And where do you think this, this story should go? I think that if the match happens, I I think I only see it with Julia winning. I think that that's the natural story of her sort of rising up in this company. I'm not sure if Arisa wins what the story moving forward would be with that. She's beaten a lot of people in the company. I'm not sure that there's any prevalent story built around her and the title right now that would necessitate keeping the title on her instead of Julia. And I also think if Julia were to lose, it might put a little bit of stop to that momentum they're trying to build with her. And then of course, once Julia has it, she has a lot of matches, both from what happened in this tournament. She obviously has the brewing or ongoing feud with Hana that they can go back to and maybe Hana, you know, the end of that story is Hana beats her for the title and then Hana has a title. So I think it's definitely, if the match happens, it's definitely going to Julia. I would be interested to see if Arisa is still injured. I have no idea. I don't think anything has really come out about what the injury is, how long they expect her to be out. I think it would be interesting if they get to that point and she is still injured, whether they do something with that title 
I'm not sure that they would say, okay, we're delaying the match. The match is going to happen in two months. I think there would be something where maybe they vacate it and they make it Julia against someone, or maybe Julia is awarded the title and defends it against someone. But I think, I think anyway, after that show or the date of that show, I think Julia is going to have the title one way or the other. If the match happens, Julia not winning would be just the worst possible idea I could think of just for all the reasons that you already said. But I, I don't like the idea of just like handing her the belt. I think she has to beat somebody to get the belt and, and continue her momentum. But most importantly, Arson needs to lose because she's uh, gently approaching Momo's defense record. And I really don't like that. <laughs> That's the most important thing to think about. <laughs> yes. Momo 13 defenses of the white belt, most all time, you know, and I just, uh, I've been really concerned for a while that Arisa was going to match it or exceed it. And, uh, you know, that's the only good thing about coronavirus has been that it has stopped Arisa from being able to defend this title. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Taylor's going to leave that alone. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> okay. Well, if you haven't listened before, we usually, we start with like the big shows we want to talk about. And then we do a segment called Spark Notes, which we're going to do now. But Spark Notes is going to be a, a big segment this time because we're going to go through a lot of shows that have happened over the past two weeks. But just briefly, just to talk really quickly about what we liked or didn't like. And uh, the idea here being, if you aren't familiar with these promotions, it gives you a little background and you kind of know what might be good to go check out. Uh, if you are familiar, it should still give you an idea of like time management wise. Uh, what you definitely need to see. Uh, we can just kind of keep you up to date on it. So the idea here is we're just going to go chronologically. Uh, if if you're not familiar with Joshi, things kind of air on bizarre schedules sometimes. So the, the very first show we're going to talk about actually happened back on February 24th, but, uh, but aired pretty recently. So we're going to start there. Taylor, your thoughts on the, the Joshi matches that occurred on Zero One's Super Fireworks show on February 24th. So I thought it was a fun show. Only two Joshi matches. There was a trios match um, lower down the card, which was fun, but sort of a lower card match. And then, of course, the sort of the big reason to watch the show was the main event, which was a, um, I think I'm getting this right, a super fireworks blast, blast death match. Almost. Between... It's a super plasma blast death match. Okay. I mean, that's a part of the cage match. That could be a yes. trans. Uh, um, but that was a tag match between Mayumi Ozaki and Sayori Anu uh, against Aja Kong and Hiroyo Matsumoto. Now, Matsumoto and Ozaki had a blast death match at Oz Academy's big show last September, September 2019, which was super fun. One of my favorite matches. So to me, this had a lot to live up to. Uh, I didn't like it as much as that match, but still really enjoyed it. Uh, one thing I do have to say, I'm very grateful for Nico Pro that Nico Pro brings us a lot of smaller shows that we probably would have no way to see, at least in the Western world, without Nico Pro. But the end of this match, the conclusion of the match, it's a blast death match, which means things explode. The biggest final climactic explosion of the match is covered up by the commentary box because on Nico pro 
they bring in wrestlers or people involved with the company to comment, commentate on the matches, and they often put them in a small square in the corner of the screen so you can see them. Um, I find it not very useful because I don't really watch the shows to see the commentators. Um, but this one was especially egregious. The big final explosion is covered up by the commentary box, which drove me <laughs> crazy. Um, but other than that, a super fun match. Um, definitely totally different than 99% of Joshi matches you'll see in a given year. So I enjoyed it. Aaron, what did you think? Well, I loved it, but I also got to watch the Gaora version of it. That was, it was a, appended to the at the beginning of the 3-8 Oz Academy show. And so uh, not blocked off by the commentary there. Oh, interesting. Maybe I'll have to go back and watch it in that version. Yeah. Because I do want to see that. I mean, it is a, even having it partially blocked or mostly blocked. It looked very cool. The final the, the final moments of the match are very cool. Uh, definitely. Um, exciting. So maybe I will go back and watch it in that version. I I would recommend it. This was like, I was crazy about this. This is the, it's the leader in the clubhouse to be the number 10 match on my match of the year list. Um, It's like in my top five so far. I just loved it. I really, I think this stipulation is so fun where you have to like crawl over to the, to the corner and hit the button to like electrify the bat, you know, and then uh, you know you just hit people with it and it explodes. That's fun. But the climbing over there to hit the button leads to a lot of good abilities to like have cutoffs. So that's always interesting. Like, are they going to make it? Are they going to hit the person before somebody else is able to hit the button and turn off the the whole gimmick? So I just thought it was. An outrageous amount of fun. Matsumoto was uh, especially great here. I thought she's probably the star of the match for me. And I just loved it. I think everybody should go watch this. Those are all my takes on the uh, February 24-01 show. But next up is the Oz Academy show I was talking about, the March 8th show. And I know, Taylor, you're a much bigger Oz Academy fan than I am. So I'm going to let you run with this. Yeah, I thought it was a fun show. It wasn't anything groundbreaking, uh, but certainly if you like the style, it was a fun show. I really liked the opener, which was uh, Ibuki Hoshi from Ice Ribbon and Yoshiko against uh, Sekigun, Ozaki-gun of Mayumi Ozaki and Sayori Ono again. Um, just a super fun match. I really enjoy the style of sort of this um, interference, people coming in, sort of the baby faces in peril. And I think that Oz Academy is really good. They have a style down because they do it pretty much every show at this point. Um, they have the style down where they know how to get all the way up to maybe the line where if you went over the line, you would think, oh, this is maybe a little bit ridiculous. They're very good at getting right to that line and not crossing it. So I thought that this was the opening match was a lot of fun. I also thought the main event was fun. It's a very Oz Academy match where it's uh, point based, based on it's a, it's 30 minutes of time and there's uh, singles matches. It's a um, four on four match where everyone has single matches. And if you get a pin or a submission, you get a point for your team. 
And then at the end, they have this four-four match with the same rules where you get a point for a pin or a submission or some sort of decision. And then at the end, the team that has the most points wins the match. So I think it's a lot of fun. It's different than sort of a one-fall match where you sort of get the one decision and that's the end of the match. This one, you can maybe have one team get two pinfalls and they're up to nothing. And then the other team has to come back and try and, you know, make up now three points in order to win. So it gives it a little bit of a different feel. And I thought it was a a really fun match as well between mission K four and beast friend. So those are really the two matches that stood, that stood out to me on the show. I've really, well, really is a, is a strong word, but I like the opener. And I think it's just that when it's the opener on a card, all the silliness I can enjoy and, and have fun with more, can tolerate it a little more. When it's the main event and you do a lot of the same kind of silliness, I don't know. That just doesn't work for me. It goes over that line you're talking about for me, where it's like, Okay, I can appreciate that in the opener, the referee just like gets involved in the match. That's fine. I can appreciate that, um, you know, a cop just comes in and, and starts hitting people with things. But at some point, it's like, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> it's ridiculous. I don't know. I don't. It's wrestling. I don't want to take it too seriously. Uh, but at the same time, it's just like, I don't know. It doesn't appeal to me. I have one correction in that it's not a cop. It is police. (laughs) So show some respect, please. I will never show any respect for (laughs) any police, to be clear. (laughs) He is the only good police in in the world, uh, is police. (laughs) If you've never seen one of these, you got to watch it. I mean, just to get a sense for whether you like it. Um, It is. It's just something that must be seen. but. Not something that uh, that really appeals to me much. All right. Next up, the Seedling Show from March 10. This was in Corrigan Hall, headlined by a Beyond the Sea title match between Arisa Nakajima and Rina Yamashita. What were your thoughts? Well, let's start with the title match. I th- think it made your recommended matches, so you must have really liked it. It did. Arisa Nakajima, as I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, is my favorite wrestler in the world. I love her attitude in pretty much every match she has, whether it's a big match like this one or even down the card in a a tag match or a trios match or something like that. She comes in with the attitude of just wanting to really scrap and fight and she will fight anyone. She has a lot of tag matches in the history of seedling where she ends up fighting her own tag partner. Uh, Cause she just doesn't really care. She just wants to get in there and fight and scrap. And it's always hard hitting and matched up with someone like Rena, who also is sort of the same way where she's willing to get in there and scrap. I just, thought they had a great match. I thought it was Super fun, hard-hitting, exactly what I expected. Um, Not maybe at the level of, you know, the tippy-top matches that I know that they're both capable of, sort of a match-of-the-year contender, but very, very good. I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, And some big events going on after the the title match as well. So this was a big story-heavy event for Seedling. Seedling is... um, 
they sort of have a pattern to their year every year. It's happened for the past few years where January to March for seedling is sort of, uh, there isn't a lot of stories. It's, it's getting into the year for seedling. They might have sort of some title matches, but there isn't a lot of story behind them. This one didn't have a lot of story except that Rena was sort of antagonizing Arisa dumping water on her and making fun of her. But then once they get into April, they sort of kick off the big storylines of the year. Last year it was Arisa rising to the title, which then um, climaxed with the big hair match against Nanai Takahashi in November. And it looks like this year is going to be Arisa Nakajima was the leader of the selfish strawberries group in seedling. That was her unit that she was head of. And after this match, um, that unit came out to see her. It was Asuka Makoto and Mima Shimoda. They came out and Asuka hit Arisa with a chair, kicked her out of the group. So she is now out of the group. And the big feud is Arisa versus the selfish, the remaining selfish strawberries and but she is going to get the assist from her longtime tag partner Sukasa Fujimoto, who is in the opening match of this card. They are they have been teaming together for a long time as best friends, uh, the original best friend tag team before the American version happened. So it looks like Arisa, uh, Sukasa Fujimoto, and Hanori Hana, who is the trainee, the seedling trainee, are going to unite to face off against the remaining selfish strawberries. Yeah, I um I like this match. Don't get me wrong. Thought it was good. It down the stretch it was really good. But overall I didn't find it terribly compelling. It's just like to me, if Aris is going to win this match in the end, why not just have Rena beat the shit out of her for a little bit? I felt like they kind of went by half measures on that. Like Rena would be on top for a bit, but not long enough. It was a lot of like switching control back and forth without anybody really being down long enough for you to get invested in, in what was going on. So that was the, that's my criticism of the match. But uh, once it got going down the, toward the finish, it was a lot of fun and I enjoyed it. It's just for a, a big title match like that and Corquin Hall, I just want, a more compelling story in the match. The the match, I'm sorry, go ahead. I also think it might've slightly been hurt by the fact that this show happened on March 10th. It was sort of in, in the midst of all of this going on. They didn't draw very well. They only drew 360 fans to Cork and they're sort of the extenuating circumstances of everything going on, but not a great number. So it wasn't a full, uh, was certainly not a full Cork and Hall, which I think may have hurt the match a little bit. I think it may have been a little bit stronger if they had maybe their usual draw, which is more the lines of 600 or so. So, you know, could have doubled the attendance or so. Uh, I think it might have made it a little bit better. I do think the lack of crowd might have hurt the match a little bit. The match I really liked on this card was the tag match. Hiroyo Matsumoto and Shuri versus Miyuki Takase and uh, Ryo Mizunami. They went to a draw. I thought this was like a four-star level match. Uh, Down the stretch, it was really good, especially uh, the Shuri and uh, Takase exchanges. Uh, Hiroyo hit a Judas effect in this match. 
which amazing. I hope she got clearance to do that. Uh, and the uh, Hiroyo and, and Mizunami, like toward the end, they were also having these like really stiff and brutal exchanges. I just, I love this. Yeah, it, it was very good, I think. And we'll be talking about her more later on in this show. But Takase is really having a great 2020, is really, at least for me, rocketing up the sort of standings in terms of, you know, the stars of Joshi. I think that she's, between this and the Wave um, title match, which we'll talk about later, she is really rising up very quick to me as a big star in the world of Joshi. All right, next up are a few smaller shows that, uh, frankly, Taylor is the only person who's insane enough to have watched all of them. So uh, I'm just, I'm going to let you take the wheel here, bud. Drive us. Uh, so Pure J has had a few shows that they've put on <laughs> their YouTube channel um, in this sort of strange time of no um, shows. Pure J has put on a few matches in their dojo um, in front of no fans, although the first show that I will talk about did have um, 79 fans in attendance at the dojo. It's a very small um, single room dojo. Uh, and the first one was actually Leon's 20th anniversary debut show, uh, 20 years since Leon debuted. And she celebrated by having a gauntlet match in the main event of the show on March 15th. Uh, so that's fun. Check it out. You know, this is only the whole card is only three matches. So a very easy, quick show to get through. They also um, did stream uh, a show on March 29th that is still up on their YouTube and they had one match on April 3rd that is up on their YouTube as well. Just fun shows, nothing too serious. I think the 329 show lasts a total of 45 minutes. So something very quick. If you're looking for something quick and easy to watch, uh, give those a look on the pure J YouTube channel. Uh, and then as well, Ice Ribbon has been doing a number of shows for no fans. They did have one show in front of fans at uh, Skip City Hall, which um, is sort of just a, a show I really enjoyed. The top two matches, I think, are really great. Uh, the semifinal featured the joint army team of Tai Hanma, Siri, and Matsuyu Uno which I thought was a really great match going up against Tsukasha Fujimoto, Ibuki Hoshi, and Haragi Kurumi. That a really strong match. I am really into the joint army. I think they're really great. There's a lot of really cool stuff in this match where I think that they are a unit, obviously heavily based on you know MMA sort of styles. And there's a lot of things where they go for a pin and the person kicks out and they use that person's momentum to go into a submission or to go into another move. I think they're really cool. It's a really unique unit. And then I thought the main event was really good as well, sort of setting up the uh, a, a preview the big Yokohama Bunkai show on May 4th, which hopefully will, fingers crossed, still happen. So it was Mochi Miyagi, Risa Sara, and Suzu Suzuki versus Mai Yukihi, uh, Ram Kaicho, and Rina Yamashita. Sort of a preview, but 
you talk about those six wrestlers, six very talented wrestlers wrestling well. It's pretty much that simple. Um, Maya at one point hits a running knee through the ropes that looks crazy, um, like a wrestling move that I would not want to ever have happened to me. Um, but another fun match to check out. And they have been doing these dojo shows for no fans. They've been streaming them on their Nico channel. Ice Ribbon has their own Nico channel, so you can check them out there. Very similar. The big match from March 29th was uh, Mayumi Ozaki from Oz Academy coming to Ice Ribbon to take on Sukushi. Uh, she brought police with her. They had a very Oz Academy style match with a lot of interference. Uh, Sukushi lost and got on the microphone after and demanded a match, uh, demanded a tag title match at Yokohama Bunkai against Ozaki and police. Uh, the only issue is police is not a wrestler. He is a manager. So it looks like it's going to be Sukushi and uh, Sukasa Fujimoto against Ozaki and Sayori Anoi for Yokohama Bunkai, which to me sounds like an awesome match. I think that'll be super fun. So those are two other shows to check out um, from Ice Ribbon. And you also caught the, the Marvelous March 20 show? I did. Marvelous had uh, a show on March 20th. The big match from this is that Maria was supposed to be in the main event. Uh, she suffered an injury. I don't even rem recall what the injury was. It wasn't major because she wrestled the following week in the Sendai show, which we'll talk about in a second. But she was replaced by Chigusa Nagayo which is a big deal. Uh, Chigusa is sort of semi-retired at this point, doesn't wrestle all that often. She, so it was uh, Chigusa Nagayo and Takumi Aroha versus Masha Slamovich and Mei Hoshizuki. I thought that this match was awesome. Nagayo and Aroha look like two killers in the match. I mean, they come in and they are wailing away on especially on Hoshizuki, who takes a lot of punishment in this match, strikes, kicks, things like that. I just thought it was a super fun match, definitely one worth checking out on freshlive.tv to see Chigusa Nagaya, which is a rare treat. As I mentioned, doesn't wrestle too often nowadays, so definitely a match to watch, hard-hitting and really excellent. Oh, yeah, I subscribe to freshlive.tv. I better go watch this. I'm wasting yeah, I would I would highly recommend it. the The whole show itself is only I think about an hour and forty five minutes as well. So another very easy show to get through. Next up on our list is the Wave Show from March twenty one, and I did see the the main event uh, for the Regina de Wave title. Uh, Nagasa Nozaki versus versus. I'm not sure why I made that uh, two syllable or two words versus Miyuki Takase. So this is sort of the return for uh, Nozaki got a actress girls title match against Takase. Takase won to retain her title. And this is sort of the return match where now Takase gets the match against Nozaki for the Regina DeWave title. Uh, the last episode, we talked about the first of those matches for the actress girl title, which I really loved. I thought that this match was equally as good. Uh, Nosaki to me is someone who's always 
I don't know that I've ever really had strong opinions about her one way or the other. I always thought that she was sort of a fine wrestler. She has been excellent in these matches. She's got some crazy kicks. I believe at one point uh, it was a little bit hard to see from the angle that was filmed. I believe there's a shoot headbutt in this match uh, at one point, which is pretty crazy. Just a hard-hitting, lots of kicks from no running kicks from Nosaki. Takase's really good at selling for her. She really goes all out, um, bumping all over the ring. So I thought it was an excellent match. Aaron, what did, we didn't even talk about it. What did you think of the match? I think you're dead on about uh, Takase that she's like going to be a star, a huge star. She already does these little things. Like in this match, there's a suplex where instead of, it's like in a, a little run of moves and instead of just like doing a normal suplex she kind of holds her for just a millisecond and then twists back the other way to drop her and it's just like that little bit of kind of uh creativity ingenuity um character a little bit of charisma that's like just reminds you of how how special she is she had and it also reminds you how new at this she is because right before that she does a power slam that she's like just waiting on Nozaki to, to come greet her. So it's like, you know, you see a little bit of her uh, being green, but she's got a lot of creativity and a lot of uh, compelling stuff about her that I think is going to make her, she should be uh, a super duper top star, which is uh, a very clinical definition of, uh, of what makes a great Joshi wrestler. So I liked the match quite a bit. I thought it was especially good at the beginning when she's, uh, when uh, Takase is working over Nozaki's back. Like that seemed really focused. I mean, you, you might see a, a pattern for me that I like kind of that sort of, that sort of match where you're focused on something and the person sells for a while and then they have a comeback, you know, kind of just like, I like uh, Southern style wrestling which uh, is done in Joshi. Uh, but the uh, Nozaki's comeback kind of lost me a little bit. Wasn't as compelling, but that's hard. It's, sometimes it's hard to be as compelling as someone uh, when you're in the ring with somebody like uh, Takase. But the closing stretch here was really, really fun. Uh, so overall, I thought it was a good match. What is next on our list is uh, uh, just the, the Chaco Pro shows that have been going on. Yeah, so I just wanted to briefly mention, not really going to go into uh, depth into any of these shows, but Gato Move has uh, launched a spinoff promotion called Chocolate Pro Wrestling, uh, Choco Pro. They're, they've been taping at uh, Ichiga Chocolate Square, which is the usual Gato Move, the very famous Gato Move room uh, with no ring. Uh, and have been taping with no fans is obviously we're at the point now when shows are either not running or running for no fans, but have been super fun shows. They last about an hour and 15 minutes. They're on the Gato Move uh, YouTube channel. The first show featured uh, Minoru Suzuki in the main event. Uh, definitely gets goofy with him taking on the entire uh, Gato Move roster at one point, but super fun shows. Very good to check out. Uh, just throw on, give them a watch. Uh, so recommend checking those out. I believe at this point they've had two shows. Uh, Ryu Mizunami was on the second show, um, tagging with Mesa Ruga. So that's another fun match to check out. 
And anybody who says the Boneyard match isn't wrestling because there wasn't a ring, watch Gato move sometimes, folks. It's still wrestling. The originator, you know, <laughs> draw the line from Gato move to the Boneyard match. <laughs> uh, all right. Next up, we just got a few shows left. Uh, Sendai Girls on 328. They ran the first round of the Joshi Rookie Tournament. And I, I thought this was a lot of fun. But unfortunately, it kind of peaked at the beginning of the of the show for me, rather than that you kind of usually want to peak a wrestling show. But, uh, you know, the, the uh, Mikoto Shindo versus Akari match, I thought was, was a lot of fun. And the Maria Meho Shizuki match was probably even better than the, than the opening match. So there was a lot to like here. Yeah. I, once again, I'm going to go to bat May Hoshizuki and Maria. I thought it was an amazing match again. They have the style of, especially watching these all in order um, and seeing sort of two rookies go at it. You see, you can definitely see the difference in the way that these that may and Maria wrestle. It seems like a fight. They're fighting for every move. They're really hitting each other very hard. Every move is a struggle. The whole thing seems like a true fight, just like the previous match they had in marvelous, which I really loved. I also enjoyed, uh, Haruka Umasaki versus Eureka Oka. I enjoyed that match as well, but I do see what you're talking about. Some of these matches, um, I mean, you do have to remember these are um, rookies. They are fairly inexperienced people, especially Natsuo Kaneko, who this was her first match um, as her debut. Sort of a big spot to be put in in this tournament with a lot of very good rookies. So I thought that she was fine. But but yeah, sort of the ups and downs of a tournament featuring only rookies but I think we'll look back on this in a few years, just like we do with the um, 2008 and 2009 versions of the tournament. And I think we're going to end up seeing a lot of stars coming out of this tournament. I absolutely agree. One thing that really stood out to me in this tournament, which I note I wrote down, which was you can tell that none of these wrestlers have reached their full potential, of course, which they shouldn't have because they're very young. Uh, because you know Joshi has reached her full potential when she doesn't hesitate to slap someone across the face and just slaps as hard as she possibly can. <laughs> in that uh, uh, Haruka Umasaki and Yurika Oka match, there was like uh, Umasaki was going to slap Oka once, and you could just see her like not really wanting to do it. <laughs> you know, she was like, ah, "Okay, here you go. Here's here's the slap. That's what I'm supposed to do." It's like. When when you grow up, Haruka, you will just slap the shit out of this of whoever's standing across from you. <laughs> Taylor, I've, I've said a lot of things today that Taylor just won't touch for whatever reason. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Uh, we got two shows left, and really just two matches left. I would say the Tokyo Joshi Pro Show from April third, and the, this was a Itabashi Green Hall match. Main event was uh, Natsumi Maki taking on Miyu Yamashita in the... Uh, you said it was the third one. Are we sure it was the third match of their... No, no, no. No, so I realized... One, so right? that was from the 21st, which we okay. don't actually have on the list. Um, but we can talk about this. Oh, oh, we can talk about both Tokyo Joshi shows. Oh, uh, no, I've, I fucked this up then because I watched the one from March 21, I think. No, which is correct. That is correct, but this Tokyo... 
there was also Tokyo Joshi had a show on April 3rd, which I'll talk about after we talk about okay. uh, Miyu and Natsumi. Oh, well, I, um, I get screwed up on that because I did not then I did not see the Tokyo Joshi Pro 4-3 show. But I did watch the Natsumi Maki Miyu Yamashita match. And honestly, I just thought this I thought this series peaked with the first match. The, the there was good stuff in this that I enjoyed, but my favorite of the series was the very first one. I don't think they've topped that yet. I would agree with that, but I also really enjoyed this match. I thought it was very good as well. I was surprised with the outcome of the match. The story of the matches has been um, Natsumi Maki trying to um, defeat um, Miyu, and it didn't happen. Not Sorry for spoilers for the match, but it didn't happen again. I figured that Maki would, in her third attempt, get the victory, and that would move her on. She didn't get the victory. So now I'm wondering if they do uh, yet another match or if she moves on and comes back maybe at a later point when she's done whatever she needs to do to take the final step to beat uh, Miu. But I, I really enjoyed it. I think that they work very well together. And I've enjoyed Tokyo Joshi's ability now that um, Miu is sort of outside of the title picture. She lost the title and now has sort of drifted outside the picture that they've given her this quick sort of basic story to still keep her in higher profile matches. Cause I think she's one of the best workers in the whole company. So I'm glad to see her still getting a spotlight uh, spotlight series of matches. Yeah. It's a pretty clever way to kind of keep her away from the title, but, but still keep her involved. So that's been good. I guess my problem Taylor is just like, what kind of what you said about you were surprised at the finish. It's like, well, what's the point of these matches if if Natsumi Maki doesn't ultimately get a win at some point? You know, it's just kind of uh, that's not compelling to me. Right. And I don't know how much of it is. I know that there was a they had a match scheduled. And it was on a show that was canceled. And then so I don't know if something happened where they had a plan of a certain number of matches. And because of the cancellations, things got moved around or some or something happened. I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, but yeah, sort of a strange outcome because I don't know really where they go from here except for having another match, I guess, or maybe having a match in, you know, six months when Maki has gone out and, you know, developed, quote unquote, developed her skills more. I think she's a super talented wrestler, but, you know, in storyline, gone out, developed her skills more and maybe comes back and beats. Um, Miyu in a larger, maybe for a title shot or, you know, for a title itself down the line. And she, she finally gets that big victory. Okay. What did I miss on the Tokyo Joshi Pro Show from April 3rd? So April 3rd, Tokyo Joshi had a uh, no people show at their dojo at the, at the uh, DDT uh, Tokyo Joshi dojo. It was a 10 on 10 gauntlet match there were 10 people on each team team red and team white and they had singles matches with two count fall rules and the team with uh, remaining members at the end would win coupons to the Genghis Khan restaurant uh, like they've done in the past I just have to say not too much to say about matches themselves but I think of all the companies there's a lot of companies right now that are running these empty arena, you know, dojo shows. And I think Tokyo Joshi 
has probably done the best of any company in presenting shows that are interesting to watch because they, in many ways, they're totally different than a sort of traditional Tokyo Joshi show. They're not going out and just having a series of matches that are, you know, here's a singles match, here's a tag match. They did this um, 10v10 gauntlet match, which I think was super fun. So they've been very good at sort of acknowledging that there's no fans doing something different, but not having it. A lot of these other companies have the feeling of you watch the show and they feel sort of like they're missing something because obviously they're missing the fans. But these Tokyo Joshi shows have been super fun. I highly recommend checking them out. They posted the first five matches of the show to their YouTube channel, which you can watch for free. So if you want to check out some of the show, you can do it there. And you can see the rest of the show at, on DDT Universe. And I highly recommend it, a show that's another, once again, a very quick show, easy to get through. The matches are quick. Um, they go really boom, boom, boom. They talk, they interview all the wrestlers. So a, definitely a fun show worth checking out. And finally, a match that I've seen that Taylor hasn't. Ha! <laughs> a D rare occurrence, a rare occurrence. Yes. From DDT's April 4th show, they had one Joshi match on the show, and it was Shuri taking on Saki Akai. And uh, I loved this. I'm sorry that you haven't seen it, Taylor, because my take is that it's the best no fans match from this era. I, uh, I just thought it uh, slapped. It was great. It was like the story is basically like Shuri obviously is like uh, – Definitely a killer as it relates or as it compares to Saki Akai. And she's like trying to hit her with, with arm submissions basically immediately. And you see Saki trying to kind of fight back from that, but just not having enough. And I think Saki gets a bad rap as like a really bad wrestler. I think that's kind of the reputation that she has among some Western fans. And uh, I think it's unearned. It might have been true at some point, but I think it's unearned now. She holds her own here with Shuri, who I think is really good. So I would highly recommend this to everyone. All right, those are all the shows that we're going to talk about. Now, normally we won't talk about as many shows, so we would have more to say in our recommended matches. But basically, our recommended matches are, are just a rundown of what we'd like from all the shows we've just talked about. Taylor? Yeah, I'll just run through mine very quickly. I think I've talked about all of them except for, as Aaron mentioned at the beginning of the show, I have a secret bonus match to check out that we haven't talked about yet because it didn't happen in the last two weeks. Uh, but Momo versus Starlight Kid from the Stardom Cinderella Tournament. Uh, Arisa Nakajima versus Rina Yamashita from Seedling on March 10th. Miyu Yamashita versus Natsumi Maki from Tokyo Joshi on March 21st. Mayo Shizuki versus Maria from Sendai Girls on March 28th. I don't think we mentioned that that show, all the matches are on the Sendai Girls YouTube channel, so you can check that out there. Takumi Aroha and Chigusa Nagayo versus Meho Shizuki and Masha Slamovich from Marvelous on March 20th. Nagisa Nozaki versus Mayuki Takase from Wave on March 21st. And my bonus match, uh, we mentioned it on the show before, Gaia Japan was scheduled to have their return show at Korokin on April 15th. That show has now been postponed. But Gaia Japan has been posting matches from the history of the promotion on their YouTube channel, uh, a variety of matches from all different years. They ran for 10 years. So 
I think they've posted from almost every year they've been around, but they posted, I think either last week or the week before, Mako Satamora versus Akira Hokuto from April 29th, 2001. Um, a big show, a big match. I highly, highly, highly recommend you go and check out this match. It's Mako Satamora, so this is she was just celebrating her sixth anniversary as a wrestler, going up against one of the legends of Joshi Wrestling in Hokuto, sort of at the tail end of her career, because in, in I think less than a year, she would be sort of unofficially retired from wrestling. But this is an excellent match. If you like Mako Satamora, it's exactly what you would expect from a match of hers. Very hard-hitting. I think it's, without giving anything away, a super interesting a finish to the match. It's definitely one worth checking out. And now that we have sort of less live wrestling happening um, week to week, I highly recommend going back, subscribing to the Gaia Japan YouTube channel, checking out all of their matches, but especially um, this match, which I thought was just incredible. I'm just seeing come across the old Twitter timeline that Oda Ward Gymnasium is closing between April 1 and April 30. So uh, the, the April 29 stardom show, if it happens, it's not going to be happening at, happening at Oda Ward Gymnasium. Interesting. Break, we're breaking news on this podcast now. <laughs> yes, by the time everyone hears this, it'll definitely still be breaking news. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll go down my recommended matches. And I, I meant to on this show, and I did a, a terrible job of it because I didn't do it. I meant to give an idea of like where you could see these shows as we were talking about them. And uh, I struck out on that, but maybe as I'm going through my recommended matches. Um, so the, the first one is the zero uh, one show from February 24, the uh, blast death match, Mayumi Ozaki and Saori Ano versus Aja Kong and Hiroyo Matsumoto. You probably can't see that unless you have a, um, cause the Nico Nico one's probably gone, right? Yeah, I think the Nico Nico one has is gone down now. Yeah, yeah. So there, I don't think there are any legal ways to to see that match at this point. Uh, I think that's also true for the March 10 seedling show, which I recommended: uh, Hiroyo Matsumoto and Shuri versus the Max Voltage team of Miyuki Takase and Ryo Mizunami. The from the Stardom Cinderella tournament, my main recommended matches were Utami Hayashita versus Mika. Momo Watanabe versus Starlight Kid and Julia versus Natsuko Tora. You can get those on Stardom World. It's like eight bucks a month, basically, to subscribe. Uh, actually, the the first two matches, uh, Utami versus Micah and Momo versus Starlight Kid, are I think are still up on YouTube. So I think you can get those on because the, the first round was all on Stardom's YouTube. So I think you can still watch those there. But the, uh, the Stardom World subscription is is worth it. They're not running a ton of shows right now, but they're putting a lot of their archives up while they're not running. The Sendai Girls, uh, the first round of the Joshi Rookie Tournament, Taylor just mentioned that's all up on Sendai Girls YouTube. And my recommended matches from that were the Mikoto Shindo versus Akari and Meiho Shizuki versus Maria matches. And then the April 4th DDT match, Shiri versus Saki Akai. And that's up on ddtpro.com. DDT Universe is their streaming service. And that's like, that's what, eight or nine bucks a month? 
Yeah, something in that. I think it's nine, depending on what the conversion rate is at the time that they charge you. It's around that that much. Yeah, basically to watch a lot of this stuff, you got. I mean, your your Tokyo Joshi Pro is going to be on DDT Universe. Stardom is going to be on Stardom World. We talked about Marvelous being on Fresh Live, and other than that, you pretty much got to like if you want to do it uh, legally. You got to pretty much follow Nico Nico. You can subscribe. There's a there's a lot of great. We talked about this on our first episode, I think. There's a lot of great. Or there's a two great um, instructions uh, sites online, like uh, guides to tell you how to sign up for the service. And you just got to catch them because they're only up on Nico Nico for a week. So you got to catch them as quickly as you can. Yeah, but Nico is very cheap. I think it comes out to something like $4.75 or something like that. It's in the yeah. $5 range, so it's it's very affordable. And you can follow plenty of these on their YouTube pages and find stuff. Sendai Girls puts a lot of stuff up on YouTube, and you can see that there. Um, this Wave match was up on YouTube. Was that on their YouTube, or did somebody just put that up? Yeah, it's on the Wave. It's on the Wave uh, YouTube channel. Yeah, so you can see the Regina DeWave match that we talked about earlier on their YouTube channel. So normally we would talk about upcoming airings at this point, but we don't really know of a lot that's going to be airing soon. Uh, there are a yeah. handful handful of shows that are scheduled to happen over the next few weeks, but we also don't know if they're going to happen. <laughs> yeah, and with the airings, I know on Nico because Nico has less shows to air. I know that they've been putting up some classic shows. They put up a Sendai Girls show from 2006, which features um, Mako, of course, and Dash Chizako and Hiroya Matsumoto. So they may put up more classic shows, but with Nico, you uh, you don't often know what's airing. Sometimes they will announce it the day before or two days before. So if you're subscribed to Nico, you can keep an eye on their homepage where they will announce, but it will probably be if they air anything, it'll be sort of classic older shows as opposed to new uh, current shows. The upcoming shows that, that might happen that we know of right now, we got Ice Ribbon running dojo shows on April 11 and April 18. Those will almost certainly happen just with no fans. Yeah, I would imagine they'll happen. They they probably will stream live on the Ice as I mentioned Ice Ribbon has their own Nico channel uh, which is separate, but they air all they'll probably air those shows there and the good thing about the Ice Ribbon Nico channel is those shows don't come down uh, on the regular Nico channel. It's usually a week or so until the shows come down, but on the Ice Ribbon uh, Nico those shows stay up. Um I think almost if not all of them, almost all of them stay up permanently on that channel. Stardom has shows scheduled 414 at Corquin Hall. That will probably happen, but without fans. Although, no, actually, I guess we don't know. Corquin wasn't running no fan shows, but Taylor, you told me before we started recording that you were able to click through on buying tickets. Not that you're buying tickets. Obviously, you can't go, but uh, you're able to do that. So maybe it's happening. Who knows? Yeah, I was under the belief that Corican Hall was the one stopping the shows from running. I thought that they had come out and said, we don't want to have any shows. Um, but this show is still up. I don't know, maybe by the time we post this, maybe they will um, post a change. I know that Stardom has canceled a handful of shows, one on the 11th and two on the 25th of April. I don't know if maybe they'll cancel these 
Um, currently not canceled shows at a later point. But yes, I did go on the Stardom website to the Corican Hall event, and I could click through and technically buy tickets. So that would indicate that at least currently they're not planning on having a no people show there because I would assume if they were doing that, they would have taken down the ticket sales already. Yes. Uh, they also have their 418 and 419 shows scheduled for uh, Shinkiba first string. I would expect those not to happen personally. Uh, we just told you that this 429 show is definitely not happening at Oda Ward Gymnasium, but certainly could happen elsewhere. And then Actors Girls has a show scheduled for April 19. Uh, I assume that will, al will also be canceled. Yeah, I'm assuming. I think it might just be far enough out. Like the Gaia Japan, which is on 415, I think just got postponed a day or two ago. So it may just be a timing thing where they get close enough and probably cancel it. So obviously, if you're listening to this, you might be thinking, well, wait, what are Taylor and Aaron going to talk about if there aren't any Joshi shows that happen over the next two weeks? And the answer to that is basically we're, we're kicking back and forth a lot of different ideas about classic content that we could talk, rewatch and talk about or watch for the first time and talk about. Uh, we've talked about you know, diving a little deeper into some of these promotions and some of the wrestlers to kind of give you an idea of some of the people, but we're going to keep going. We will have a show every two weeks. Um, you know, assuming uh, one of us doesn't, uh, you know, get this thing and die, then uh, we'll just keep doing these shows. Yeah, that's, that's the plan. We'll figure out something, but we'll definitely have a show no matter what. Uh, just will depend what we'll talk about. Yep. Um, I guess that's it then. Is there, is there anything else you want to talk about, Taylor? Uh, I don't think I have anything else. I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Make, if you want to reach out to us, we're on Twitter at jbombaudio. You can also find me at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at T-A-M-A-I-M-B-O. You can find him there. You can reach us at any of those ways. If you want to talk about the show in any way or about Joshi generally, uh, subscribe to the show. Please give us a rating and review so that that'll help other people try to find this show if they're interested in Joshi wrestling, but aren't necessarily running in the same circles that we all are, mostly on Twitter. So uh, help us out there. But thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you in two weeks. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>